Hey, thanks for listening to the Unexpected Podcast. If you're enjoying the show so far, please take the time to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Welcome back to another episode of the Unexpected Podcast, where we chat all about the unexpected aspects of pregnancy and parenthood. I'm your host, Deborah Brooks. I'm a speech-language pathologist who found herself unexpectedly expecting. On this show, I call everyone I know who can help me get prepared for this life-changing journey, and on occasion, I chat with my comedian husband, Mike Racine, to see where his head's at. Okay, let's start the show. This is 27 Weeks Pregnant. Right, 27 weeks. I am in the last week of my second trimester. Next week makes third trimester, which is quite exciting. So this is still the sixth month of pregnancy. I feel good. But before we hear too much about me, let's listen to what to expect when you're expecting at 27 weeks pregnant. Week 27. This week, your baby's head-to-toe length is about 14 and a half inches. Your baby's weight is creeping up the charts as well, coming in at just about two pounds this week. And here's an interesting fetal factoid. Your little one has more taste buds now than he or she will have had at birth and beyond, which means that not only is your baby able to taste the difference in amniotic fluid when you eat different foods, but he or she can even react to it. For instance, some moms report that their babies respond to spicy foods by hiccuping or by kicking when they get a spicy kick. Will baby arrive with a taste for Tabasco? Time will tell. Okay, so definitely at 27 weeks physically, we have more fetal activity. Um, some achiness in the lower abdomen and along the sides from stretching of the ligaments to support the uterus. Certainly have that. Um, I don't have too much constipation, but I have been good about taking some fiber gummies. Heartburn is definitely uh, nonstop. Um, I don't have any headaches or lightheadedness. I don't have nasal congestion, but I do have extreme nasal dryness, which is... Very uncomfortable, so I need a solution for that. Um, Sensitive gums that may bleed when you brush. That has not happened. And a hearty appetite. Um, That's a little concerning to me, hearty appetite, because I don't feel as hungry. By the time dinner comes, I am so full. I'm going to ask my doctor about it, but I certainly have felt a decrease in my appetite, for sure. Um, I have leg cramps. I've had like two, some minor swelling of the ankles or feet. Um, I haven't noticed that, but it does say minor. No belly aches, no protruding navel, but I have like a really big deep belly button, so that might not happen to me. Um, no patchy or discoloration of my skin, belly, or on or face. No stretch marks, yes. Definitely enlarged breasts. Um, I think I have some forgetfulness. Now it's on emotionally. There's going to be fewer mood swings, some forgetfulness, um, excitement, and some worry. I guess I do have forgetfulness, but I feel like that's just because I have so much on my mind. Yeah, so not too much to report. My uh, goal each week is to drink 96 ounces of water, which makes me pee about 196 times a day, which is quite convenient. Um, I keep getting the idea in my head that I would like to exercise a bit more and um, still not doing it. That's not 
good probably, but I still, I feel like my muscles are getting weaker and I feel like I should be exercising, but I also feel lazy. So hopefully that changes um, or I do something that kicks me in the butt to make me want to. Um, I've been reading a couple of books. So right now I'm in the middle of both Crib Sheet by Emily Oster. I've talked about her books a lot. I already read um, Expecting Better. And now I'm on parenting books. I'm not interested in pregnancy anymore because I'm so far along. But I'm also not liking Crib Sheet that much. It's kind of um, aggravating me that I'm 74% done. And I'm also reading... Um, or listening to really bringing up Bebe, which is by um, Pamela Drunkerman, and she is an American author who has spent a lot of time living in Paris. And um, it is one American mother discovers the wisdom of French parenting, and I'm really liking this book. And it's all about kind of um, teaching your children patience and to delay gratification from a very young age so um what i've learned so far the principle is that you want to keep in mind is that it's important to not just react to every sound that your baby makes but to very closely observe them when they're making these sounds and to pause before you react so my plan is to so if i hear my baby cry or fuss um i'm gonna count to 30 and then I will pick them up and soothe them um, unless they stop. And if they stop, then I will leave them. So that's the plan for me. Um, and uh, another thing that she mentions in the book is that feeding in Paris in terms of children happens pretty consistently at 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. again which is not the same as the traditional every two and a half hours. Um, that is the American recommendation. So I found this interesting. Once again, it was about delaying gratification. And I'm wondering if I will implement some of these strategies once I have my baby. I'm trying not to make too much of a habit of saying, when I have my baby, I'm going to do this. And when my baby's born, I'm going to do that because I don't know what is going to happen. I have to find out when he gets here. So, but those are two interesting things. I do like patience. We all know it's a virtue. So I'm wondering if I will instill these into my parenting practices. So stay tuned and uh, hopefully I will let you know. In this episode, we welcome back Leah Curtin. She's going to chat with us about all the things parents can do from birth to encourage speech and language. Hello and welcome back, Leah. Leah Curtin is a speech language pathologist. In our last episode, she chatted about her experience uh, with preeclampsia. Hi, Leah. Hi. Um, so today we're going to chat more about what we can do from birth to increase speech and language uh, skills. And well, I guess like we're just going to bombard them, right? Um, we're not <laughs> expecting too much from them. Um, yeah, so, so from, from day one, should we, should we be just uh, calm or should we just start blabbing <laughs> at them? What, 
Um, I think, I think you're just reading your baby, like, mm-hmm. um, calm in that, obviously some startling noises, just <laughs> re- you know, you're learning from each other. So you're learning from your baby and your baby's learning from you. So just like you want them to respond to your cues, you're going to be taking cues from your baby. If you recognize you're talking too loud, like, um, you're making observations of them. So they're going to be teaching you. Right. They might do um, like a startle response if you're speaking too loud. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can adjust your voice, your tone and volume according to their like physical behavior. Um, And so would you start just reading books to them from the first day? Yeah, I would read absolutely. Anytime they hear your voice, reading books, singing, talking, um, you know, they're going to be sleeping a lot. Um, and when they are awake, um, yeah, you can, you don't have to be talking to them every single minute that they're awake, but absolutely reading from day one is, um, is a, is a great thing to do. If you're like, what can I do to, with my baby sitting down and, and just starting by reading a book is a perfect way. So Leah has so many resources on her website, speech and language at home, um, for parents to utilize strategies at home to help, um, increase their child's like speech and language comprehension and their expressive output, like the words that they're actually using and saying, uh, if you are interested, you can check out her website. There's calendars with advice of things that you can do, um, each day of the month. And she sends Mm -hmm. you a new calendar every month, which I love. I always send those home with my parents. Thanks. And, um, you also have this great 25 strategies, which I also give to many parents, um, following an evaluation and everyone talks about how they put it on their refrigerator. Perfect. That's what I was hoping for. You need something just quick to glance at and I mean, even though I have been doing this for a while, it's like just nice as a reminder to write something to, you know, jot your memory. So, yeah. So um, for the listeners who are not speech therapists, um, about what time should we start expecting some purposeful, well, actually not even purposeful. When should we start expecting some sounds? You're going to you know, like around three months or so. I mean, they're going to be making sounds, um, but I would say kind of by three to six months, um, you can kind of get some little like back and forth. So if they, when they start babbling and making sounds, then you want to imitate them and make those sounds back to them. And it could be like the same sound. And you want to kind of develop that turn taking. So they make a noise and then you make a noise and hopefully they can go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And one way to to kind of develop that is to copy what they're doing and then change it just a little bit and see how they react. Do they notice that they heard a different sound? Um, Do they try and copy your sound back? And what are Um, some indicators of them noticing? How do you know if your baby notices? Um, you, like their eye contact, if they're looking at you, you know, if you, 
uh, you know, go up at the end? Do they, you know, do their eyes widen? Do they, um, if maybe they're not, maybe they're just um, laying on the blanket and making sounds playing by themselves because a lot of that will just be exploring, you know, they're just using their voice as um, sort of sensory play sometimes um, just to feel how it sounds in their mouth. Like and they enjoy they start, the sensation yeah. of the vibrating. That's what they're not sensory play. Right. They're not doing it initially to communicate with you. Right. It's just something part of their body that they realize that they can, they can make that happen. And so they're mm-hmm. just exploring it. And so when you do it back, maybe they'll turn their head to you. Um, and so that's kind of what you're looking for. Is or if they have a pacifier, they might stop sucking because they're like, yes. wait, what was yeah. that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah. once they start making sounds, you'll want to observe those sounds and then start imitating those sounds in order to create a back and forth turn taking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when would you start like adding on and changing those sounds, trying to like expand upon their utterances? Well, I think once it's sort of like a skill that develops once they um, kind of have control of that, Mm -hmm. um, you want to kind of establish that like turn taking that they notice they're making a sound and you're making a sound back. Um, And once you kind of have that rhythm, then, then you can start making little changes to what you do. It could be the speed of what you're doing or like you're raising your voice or lowering your voice or making a different kind of vowel sound. Um, So kind of after they get that rhythm of, oh, this is a game, like they start to realize, oh, this is something you're engaged. Um, You kind of have that attention. Um, You know, they're kind of focusing on you. So it might not happen initially. It's going to just develop. once, once they have better control of making those sounds. Right. So again, in the like three to six months range. And, um, so that's what you can expect by three to six months, but let's say we surpass six months. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's happening at, so I guess what my question is like, so then we would still start there even if we're older. So like, let's say, what would we expect like six to eight months to do? So you might hear them making like the same sound repeatedly. Um, You know, they're going to make sounds more at the front of their mouth and which is kind of cool. One of the reasons for that is developmental. Um, They're used to like sucking and using their lips. And so often those are the first kind of sounds um, that they'll make the bup, 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 because they're used to they have more awareness of their lips. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that you can do at that age, once they have a few sounds and they're, they've got the vocal play is you can start attaching more meaning to the sounds that they're doing. And you have like the turn-taking game. So mm-hmm. if they're doing ba, 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 you know, and you might say, oh, I mean, I don't know if they're doing a bottle or mom, um, mom, you know, you can, you're gonna say mom. Or right, yeah, yes. So you can start, even though they're they're probably not um, using that as a word at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start attributing meaning to the sounds that they're making um, if it's close to a word. So if they start making that association that "mom, mama" means mom. 
Oh, okay. So then, so then you can be like mama, mama, and like, like, and yeah. calling yourself mama. But if they're saying like, right. ba, 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 you can either like have a bottle or maybe like there's like their blanket, a blanket or, or something. Or yeah. So every time they start making that noise, you can like bring that object over, like hold that up something. So then they start like, oh, every time I start making this right. sound, I get this thing. So now we're starting to like create an association. They might anticipate Oh, when I do this, then that like that cause and effect, this is going to happen every time I make this sound, you know, this, I get, you know, milk or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, so early on between three and six months, we want to listen and try to imitate and then try to create a back and forth. Then we're like six to eight months and we're getting some duplicated babbling where we're just like, ba, 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 ma, 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 pa, pa, pa. And we want to associate those things with, um, concepts or ideas or people or things. Um, so now we're going to be like, let's say we're getting to, eight months. And now I guess we're doing the, we're changing our vowels. So we're doing variegated. Now I don't even remember. Yeah. Yeah. Variegated. Yes. Babbling. So we're like Bobby, Bobby. Right. And they're getting more word-like. And so they may, your baby may be making sounds that aren't really truly a word, but you know, every time they say it, that, that they're expecting that. So you, as a parent, um, might understand them as as words and they are real words if if you know they're using that sound to get um a certain to get you or you know if or an action things. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and then yeah, so, so those would you be would like the still first wanna, kind of words and then still want to repeat these types of patterns and trying to maintain this mm-hmm. back and forth so a lot of things is just like repeating a lot of things is just repeating and being, you know, kind of just observing what your baby's doing and being aware that you, it's sort of like that back and forth. They're making these sounds and you're helping them attach the meaning to that. Um, so they're looking for information from you and you're looking to how they respond. And um, that's how they're associating um, learning that what they do has a purpose for language. All right. So early on with the baby, so not to say that this is all day long because who knows what your work and life situation is, but when you are spending time with the baby, then your interaction should be basically eye contact and, um, following their lead and repeating the sounds that they make. Now let's say, um, I have a baby that's really not making too many sounds at between three and six months. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? Yes. So if they're not making sounds and you don't have anything to imitate, then you would start with imitating with their body. So if they start kicking their legs, you wouldn't be kicking your, but you would, um, or banging some of their hands. Mm -hmm. You're going to do a lot of this teaching through play. So it could be um, movement-based. So if they're not making movements with their mouth yet and sounds with their mouth, um, you're going to want to build that turn-taking through their actions. Um, okay. Yes. And so they're still So like learning. banging a drum, banging on a table, clapping mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the like 
pause. So maybe they're like banging their hands really fast and you start doing it and then they stop to watch you and then you stop and they're kind of getting that sort of like that rhythm of conversation that we're we're doing this back and forth and then there might be like a pause and you're waiting to see what they do. There's this cause and effect. So even if it's not through vocal play, um, that's really good for building early conversation turn-taking skills. Got it. So if we can't imitate sounds, then we're going to imitate movement. Um, So then if we get to an older age, right? So Mm -hmm. we're like 12 months, 15 months, and we're still not really making too many sounds, or if we are, um, we're not turning those into words and we're not really Mm -hmm. repeating, what would be some suggestions? So if that you're really wanting to still focus on the imitation, because that's a really strong skill to have. And let's say they are imitating Physically. Yes, physically. And you're kind of stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you would want to do is just like um, attaching meaning to those sounds. You want to attach meaning to those movements. So let's say they're, you're, you know, banging, maybe they'll starting to bring their hands together for clapping. So you're going to be like, yay, you know, every, you want them to clap if they're excited. Um, So you're, helping them make connections between that their actions can have communication. So um, even if they're not able to use their sounds to tell you words, they might be using gestures. So you're going to really want to use that imitation skill to help teach them, you know, when they bring their hands up, that means you want up. So you're going to help pick them up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they might learn to shake their head no. And so they're not able to express no, but they're using gestures to tell you they're using their body. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're bringing their hands together, you can start uh, creating signs for more and ball. Right. Um, Those are just the two off the top of my head that involve your hands coming. I'm sure there's way more than that. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so from if you could give like, let's like try to sum it up to be like five mm-hmm. tips to um, every day to increase right. speech and language at home yeah. from the start, what would you say? Okay. So I would say developing like a good relationship with your, I mean, just being observant. So, mm-hmm. you know, following their moods, um, you're, so you're following their lead. Is it something that they're enjoying? Like reading their body language, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um would be one thing that you can learn from your baby. Um, working on that imitation, either if it's through vocal play or through body um, turn taking. So you're getting that kind of back and forth conversation, um, helping them to develop gestures to communicate. So if they're not ready to do speech sounds, um, teaching. Things like shaking their head no, um, pointing comes a little later, but that's a really good um, indicator of language mm-hmm. to be able to point to things. Um, when would pointing come? 
like um for me I'm always working on it and it's such a delayed right so it's hard to know like the the, the normal yeah 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 um I feel like probably around 12 months 12 months yeah but they they always tend to point with their middle finger it could I mean yeah and you I mean it could be like their whole arm a lot of times they'll be holding a baby and they're they're, you know they're gesturing that they want to go into the other room because they're just you know throwing their whole arm over so Mm -hmm. um you know you want your babies to be following these milestones, developmental, but all kids are different and it is a range. So you just getting to know your baby. And um, also one thing I remind parents is that kids kind of develop, they don't always develop all of these skills at the same time. So maybe their motor skills are, you know, they're um, really wanting to crawl and so you're not getting as much of the, the vocal play because they're so focused on kind of motor skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of being flexible with the milestones and obviously just being aware of them. So you know what what to anticipate to happen next um, and kind of look ahead. So if you're like, this is kind of where my baby is now, mm-hmm. what is going to be next? And then what can I do Um to help get them to that next milestone. Right. Got it. So we want to work on imitating turn taking and um, what did we say with the gestures? Gestures. Okay, great. And then also you mentioned reading stories from the start. Yeah. In the beginning. Play is very, very important. And it could be um, anytime you're doing something with your child, like, meal times or bath time think of that as like an opportunity your child is learning from you so mm-hmm. those are great times to be singing or working on body parts or exploring you know food is like a um, sensory I mean they're learning and absorbing all day long so mm-hmm. um yeah so then the Last strategy I wanted to bring up is sabotage, which I always parents laugh when they see that on the the form. They're like, why would I sabotage my child? Um, so if we could talk a little bit about that. So like, sure. what does that mean and, and how and why would we do it? Yes. So let's say, I mean, I think we do this without realizing it. They want your phone and you put it up high because you don't want them grabbing it, even though you know that that's what they want. So mm-hmm. they're going to let you know by, you know, maybe throwing a little fit or something, but. And that's intrinsically motivating to them. So like totally. that, they, they are going to want that phone because it's naturally satisfying to them to have it. So that's yeah. why they're going to be more motivated to try to like communicate with you um, right. to get it. So that's a great opportunity to start capitalizing on on their language. Exactly. So maybe you, you know, don't really want them to have the phone, but there's, you know, maybe a bottle of bubbles or some toy that they, um, or something they can have, like a water bottle. That's the other thing, you know, you mentioned toys and stuff too. It's like, like, you know, you can let your kids play with, with other things around the house that could be, you know. A, a metal spool or something that um right they're curious so they want to explore things. Toys. exactly yeah. exactly so that sabotage just means um kind of setting up that situation 
knowing when, you know, obviously there's things that you do not want them to have. So that would not be the good opportunity to learn that, but take advantage of their curiosity and their wanting to explore things. And you can just set up a situation to where they're going to need to communicate. They're going to need your help in order to get that. Mm -hmm. And that's just how you want to teach them appropriate ways to communicate either through pointing or, you know, practicing those sounds. Maybe you're using the word and they're imitating it back to you or a sign or um, you're teaching them how to communicate so they don't have to kind of, it'll help to reduce some of that frustration. Right. So sabotage comes really when you notice like, okay, somebody truly wants something and Mm -hmm. I'm going to create a barrier between that desirable object and my child. So you can do that by putting something up high, withholding something, hiding something, Mm -hmm. um, or forgetting something. Yeah. And so what would you try to like elicit from them? Well, and then knowing your child, you want to kind of give them a way to, to let you know, they want that. Maybe you're, you know, modeling pointing that they, Oh, oh, you want, so you're, you're pointing and hoping that they copy you to point. So you're modeling it initially, and then you kind of want to fade that away so that when there's something else that you want that you may not know, they're trying to get your attention and you might not know what it is that they really want. But if you're teaching them how to point um, in a situation that you've kind of set up, you're giving them that tool so that the next time there's something that they want, they can communicate that to you. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, so something that's tricky for parents is parents, they, you know, they love their child. They know their child. They know what their child wants. So they often will set them up for success. Like it's lunchtime. Mm -hmm. Here is your bowl and your drink and your fork and your everything that you need, but there's no sabotage in that situation. So I am not motivated then as a baby to communicate because I've got everything that I need. Um, so as a parent, I always tell, well, I mean, advice that I give to parents is to not always set them up for success. Like forget that juice, forget that fork. Well, they probably won't care if you forget the fork. Right. <laughs> They'll just dig right Yes, because you have control and you know what they're, because there will be times that it's, but you know, even you know when they're learning words and they're telling you as best they can what they want and mm-hmm. it's just, they can't they don't have the sounds or you, you, you know, there's that as parents, we all have those communication blocks where you just really do not know what your child wants. So mm-hmm. by setting up situations where they have, you can teach them some of those strategies early on. Um, then when you really get to a situation where you don't know what they want, they'll have some tools to, right. uh, yeah. Right. And the way that you can set up that situation would be like, don't just not give the juice at all because then it's like, now I need to know the word juice. Now I need to like point to where juice might be instead, Mm -hmm. make sure juice is within sight. Exactly. And so that they're able to like, you're still kind of setting them up for success, but you're still sabotaging them a bit. Like they have no juice, but they could see the juice. So you're, you're decreasing that transit time in terms of like communication. They can easily 
um, yeah. inform you. But yeah. that's or you're a way pretending you that you don't know, yeah. like, did you want the milk or the juice? Right. Oh, I'm dumb. Them choices. Yeah. Like, I and, yeah. And you really know what they want, but yeah. you're, you know, just kind of pretending that it could be. Yeah. So that they have to, to tell you. Right. And then you can also like, just use things functionally and correct. That's something that I like to, yeah. to do. Like if somebody wants, um, if somebody wants a, a, a toy, they'll be like, Oh, so I put it on my head and they're like, no, yeah. I yeah. want like, give it to me. So this kid thinks that you have no clue what you're doing in life. And, um, that seems to be highly motivating, um, and still a form of sabotage because like they're, I know what they want and I'm just like messing around, putting it in mm-hmm. wrong places and not giving it to them. Um, right. so that's my favorite strategy to, yeah. to work on. I think parents do it when they don't really realize that that's what it is, but mm-hmm. it's just being intentional about when you are uh, sabotaging things to control that because yeah, when you actually know, oh no, this is something that they want. So Right. And then before we finish though, um, you've mentioned so many times, like knowing your baby and reading your baby. So advice I give to parents is like, know those cues for frustration. Right. Because so what would you do? So, so if you wanted this child to say ball, so you're, you're doing mm-hmm. sabotage, right? You're, you got two yeah. choices. You're trying to do verbal decision-making. I have a Winnie the Pooh and I have a ball and you're just like, no, I won't give yeah. you this until you say ball. Is that right. advice that you typically give? Well, you're going to want to read your child and you don't want to get them to the point where they're frustrated, overly frustrated. You want right. to keep reducing it to a point where, um, you're giving them enough help. Like you said, having the juice on the table or you want to make it, if they're frustrated, like get, help them to communicate, put it right in front of them. And, you know, you don't want to make it a negative experience. So no, I wouldn't get to the point where they're overly frustrated. Um, And then maybe on a day where they're having a better day, you might make it a little bit more challenging by not putting the juice on the table or um, by uh, having higher expectations, but making them communicate a little harder. But if if mm-hmm. um, they're in a mood where they, it's just, yeah, if they're frustrated, you want to allow them to communicate the best that they can that day. So right. they're going to change from day to day. Right. And if they reach the point of frustration, they're not going to learn. So you need to learn your child's cues. Or if you're a therapist, you need to watch those cues and find out where their threshold is. And you have to find a way for them to communicate with you so that you're not just giving in, but you're not pushing them past that threshold. So often I'll be like, if they look at it, I'll be like, Oh, this is what you wanted. And right, I'll hand right. it over to them. Um, but they might not have it every day. They're still learning that skill and it's not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, hundred percent. So you, you want to, um, yeah, like you said, read those cues and adjust for your child based on that day. Yeah. I'm reading this book, bring it, bringing up Bebe and it's about an American woman in France who learns from like French parenting. And it's all about like reading the 
the child's cues. And, and, yeah. uh, so that's like probably the best advice that you can really give to anybody. Right. Cause you can read books, but every child is different. So you have to know what makes sense for, I mean, you're going to get a ton of advice and, yeah. and you just have to like, the more, the more, you know, your child, um, you'll see what works for your child and what doesn't. Right. Right. And everyone is different. And yeah. if you even kids are different, because if you have more than one kid, you know, what works for one kid, you're going to realize, oh, I have to, I have to readjust and learn home skills as, as parents, because what worked for one kid, probably, you know, it's not going to work for every situation for your other kids. So, right. Yeah. And um, also, though, I keep saying before we wrap up, I keep thinking of things. Yeah. Um, but if, if somebody is not, if your child is not doing things in a timely manner, um, mm-hmm. that is completely fine. But at the same time, you don't want to like not confront these issues. So right. certainly seek out right. help in early intervention related yeah. services for speech and language uh, evaluation just to make sure. And also a yeah. hearing evaluation. Maybe they can hear you. Yes. Yes, I think just being aware of what those milestones are and not waiting too long if you have concerns. Um, like what I was saying before, just know that there's a range. So um, yes, your baby's going through a lot of development. There's going to be a lot of things and, and all kids kind of have their strengths and their, you know, some things that might take a little longer, um, but don't wait too too long. Definitely have that conversation with your your doctor, um, if you are concerned, because there could be even just small, I mean, just because there's a delay doesn't mean your child, you know, there's often some little things like when my child had some difficulties with um, physical development, it was like just a few little tips and it really helped. So Mm -hmm. ask early if you do have concerns. Yeah. I mean, I'm a speech pathologist and I have been doing this for eight years, went to school for six and I still like hear a tip, but I'm like, I would have never thought of that on my own. So everyone is still learning, um, in every capacity of life. So the kids are learning, the professionals are learning, the parents are learning. So just seek help help whenever. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I really appreciate you doing this episode. Yeah. And if anybody wants more information on how to increase speech and language at home, then check out Leah's website, which is speechandlanguageathome.com. And also on Instagram, that's her same handle, speech and language at home. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Unexpected podcast is recorded and produced by Deborah Brooks and is sponsored by the Sit Down with Microscene podcast, SLP's Wine and Cheese podcast, and the Dad Show with Microscene podcast. For more unexpected content, head over to www.patreon.com slash Deborah Brooks CCC SLP. If you love the show, I'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.